My scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found on your pew Bibles on page 21. I'm going to go fast. And again, Bobby is teaching our young people how to do the sound and the video. And uh, so, Lillian, you got this. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this. The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, uh, prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went ahead and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very loud crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them also on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, thanks. The whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Now, as I told the 815 crowd, there's a problem with when I read this text now. I, in my doctoral program, I, I, have a, I had the opportunity and privilege to take a class by Dr. Warren Carter who wrote the commentary for the Gospel of Matthew in the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary. And, and he's world-renowned on his understanding and, and, and critique of the Gospel of Matthew. The problem with this is, is that every time that I hear this passage of Scripture, all I hear is Dr. Warren Carter screaming at us, Roman Empire! Roman Empire! And I go, okay, okay, I get it. But... You can't get out of this story without commenting on that. Just, just to give you some historical perspectives on what is taking place. Number one, uh, there is a passage of scripture that we hear from in uh, Zechariah, which is uh, in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is the tell the daughter of Zion, uh, where there's two animals and Jesus is riding on them. Zechariah talks about this as well. Both of these moments are talking about a Mashiach that comes that is going to be the king of Israel. So if Matthew's gospel, well, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say Dr. Carter was right on this, that Jesus is going to overthrow the empire and become the new emperor of Rome, he's going to have to come in in a royal procession. Now, royal processions were a whole thing. They, they were planned weeks and months ahead of time. So when the emperor came into the town, everybody laid their cloaks on the ground for fear that the emperor would 
touch his feet on the ground. And then they would throw palm branches everywhere just so that they could show how benevolent and amazing he was. Now here's the problem though. They did it for fear of death. They didn't get a choice. When they said, Hail Caesar! And he came into town, it was because if they didn't, they would be killed. It's a fake parade. This procession, this moment, was spurred on by the crowds. The audience that heard Jesus' words, they had heard his Sermon on the Mount, they witnessed his miracles, they watched all of these beautiful things, and they followed him because they loved him. And they, frankly, if, if I'm being honest with you, I think they wanted to see what he would do next. So as he's coming into Jerusalem, the place that he's going to be the new king of Israel, you betcha they made a, uh, a procession as if he was royalty. There's another part of this that I just, I feel like I got a comment on, is the, the whole donkey and colt and the foal story, because we talked about it in Sunday school for just a minute. And I told them I can't tell them that because I was going to save it for my sermon. So here it is. It's, it's a Roman prescription, you see, or conscription. A, a Roman could come up to you and say, I need your clothes, or I need your money, or I need your donkey. And you didn't have a choice, you just gave it. Because if you didn't, you died. Now here's the thing that's different in this gospel. When I used to preach this sermon, I would say... This is your first case of grand theft donkey. So here's this guy from Nazareth that walks into town and says, Hey, by the way, I need your donkey. And you don't get to answer. They're just supposed to automatically say, Sure, go ahead. And while you're at it, go ahead and take the foal while you're at it. I mean, that's fine. It's no big deal. Of course, according to Torah, that's what you were supposed to do. But in some aspects of it, the Gospel of Matthew writer is wanting you to see that again, the audience is recognizing that Jesus is of some sort of nobility that they even give some of their own prized possessions. The thing that provides work, that provides sustenance, that provides the opportunities for these people to have a home. And they just give it to him freely. It's an amazing story. Now, Let's talk about Holy Week and why this procession into Jerusalem is such a big deal. So let's start with day one. We read and have read that verses 1 through 9, Jesus has entered into, the, into Jerusalem as nobility. He is now being claimed as the king of kings. And immediately he cleanses the temple. And then right after that, leaves Jerusalem, all in day one. In day two, Jesus stands outside of Jerusalem and curses a fig tree, which was the emblematic symbol of Israel. And the fig tree, get ready, dies by his mere words. Then Jesus is questioned by authority. And about his authority. And then, this is my favorite part. 
all of this is in day two. What is it that makes Jesus so awesome besides the fact that he does miracles and raises people from the dead? He tells us about our faith through stories. How does he do it? Well, through parables. So he gives them three parables. And then he responds to political and theological questions because that's, well, that's what's going to happen, right? If they, the audience, has declared him as the king, the authorities are going to say, yeah, but how is this supposed to work according to God and the empire? And then there's a moment in chapter 23, verses 1, and all the way through, where he has this conversation with the audience about, you will be judged. And in this place, the temple will fall, and then will rise. And that's the end of day two. Now, day three is the one that kind of hurts the most. Because in day three, his death is plotted by human beings. There's an anointing in Bethany that takes place in chapter 26. And then ultimately, his betrayal by Judas in chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Now, the part that has always bothered me is it, it takes place in day four because they, Matthew tells you all of this stuff to prepare, prepare you for day four. Because at day four, there's a preparation and a conversation about the Last Supper. Now, I'm going to spend some time on this, so get ready. I want you to think about, you have had these people with you for three years. You love them deeply. It would be like me talking with you after six years and saying, I love you with all of my heart and being. But in this moment, I want you to know that this bread that I'm giving to you, that I'm breaking on behalf of you, is my body. And this, this wine that I'm pouring out to you, uh, this, this cup that, that you're going to drink out of, is my blood which has been poured out for you. And all the while, while I'm doing that, I know that one of you is going to betray me. Not once, not twice, but three times. And not even, that's not even the bad one. The, the second betrayal, which we get as the first, knowing that somebody has plotted to get me killed sitting at that table. Have to love your enemies, Jesus says. I mean, come on. That is like the most powerful part of the passage of Scripture in the entire Holy Week, if you ask me. Here he is at this Last Supper experience. There's all of this stuff happening. And in that midst of that moment, he knows deep down in his being that these people are going to betray him, that one of them is going to get him arrested. And what does he do? He gives it to him freely. <laughs> and once he's done, he says, okay, Judas, you can go. And then he has his fake mock trial before the Sanhedrin which, by the way, I've studied a really long time. There is no such thing as the trial that he had. It was just a thing that they threw together as quickly as they possibly could. And this trial was not a trial at all. It was a mock, let's make sure we get rid of this person who they, the audience, the people that praised as the new king of Israel, 
see that he is not. And Peter denies him. All in day four. Day five of Holy Week. This is the trial before Pilate. Now, as I tell everybody when we do Bible study, most of our understanding of Jesus' last days are homogenized. You have put together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you've put it all together in one neat little package. Why? Because it's easier to process that. And it's okay, but I want you to understand that the Gospel of Matthew has it where Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with this. He actually gives Pilate a lot of credence and the opportunity to to get out of jail free. Actually, Pilate washes his hands of the whole thing, and it's Pilate's soldiers that killed Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And then he dies. I want to talk to you about his death. When he dies, Matthew says, the soldiers grab him and they crucify him. That's it. There's no him walking down the road and somebody picking up his cross like you get in Luke and John. No, no, it's not any of that. What he says is, the part is, is that Jesus died. Unlawfully, I might add, Matthew says. And then on top of that, when he dies, there's an earthquake. And the temple shroud gets torn from top to bottom, which is physically impossible. And then my favorite part, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but it's really kind of cool. When he dies, a whole bunch of dead people come up out of the graves and go start seeing people. And they call them saints. So basically, it's like a scene from The Walking Dead, except they're not really zombies. You see your saints that have gone on before you. And they just start walking around everywhere in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the weirdest part, but it's not weird. Think about it. Think about how cool it is in the sense that when we've lost a tragic death, right? When we've had tragedy and trauma in our life and something, when they die, we see them later on. You see them in the faces of people that, and you're like, how is that possible? So Matthew wants you to know that Jesus' death was so traumatic that they saw their loved ones in the midst of Jesus' death. Giving them, and, I, and I'm psychologizing this, and my professors would tell me, oh, Josh, stop doing that. But I, I think that the reason Matthew puts that in there is because that when he dies, the saints come back from the grave to give them comfort. To say, oh, Don't forget, Jesus is raising from the dead. And then he gets buried. Now the part that's weird is is day six. There's really not a lot written except for in chapter 27, verses 63 through 66. Day six is, there was a guard at the tomb. Well, thank you, Matthew. We appreciate that. But really... That's the day of contemplation, right? Good Friday has happened. We've watched his horrific death and execution. And now we are going, what are we supposed to do now, God? And we sit there and we pray and we ask God, please, what are we supposed to do? 
And even his own disciples were in hiding. And all the while, we are praying. Because we didn't get it that Jesus was going to come back. Which then makes day seven seem like completely different, right? Easter Sunday. Where the disciples should have been waiting at the tomb saying, hey, here's your coat. Here's a cup of coffee. Uh, we know that you had to die, but we know that you were coming back in three days. We're ready to go to work. Instead, Mary and Martha are there, and they discover the empty tomb. And just like we read, Jesus starts appearing himself to his disciples. And then Matthew gives us the Great Commission. Go therefore into all nations, preaching and teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, knowing that I will be with you till this end of the age. Man, what a story. What a crazy week. I think about this a lot. I think about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and I don't think that we could do it. I know that I'm really pessimistic, and I know everybody hears me say it all the time when I say, yeah, but I'm not bitter. But I'm not. I am a little bitter about what would happen if Jesus came into town today. If Jesus himself walked out through the back of that sanctuary and started walking in the door, would I be able to recognize him as the king of kings? I don't think so. I think we've lost that art as a culture. It was coincidental that my Sunday school class brought up Elvis. Elvis is the, the craziest phenomenon in the sociological perspective of all time. He was this scrawny little kid from Memphis, Tennessee that my grandfather coached in football. Let me be honest with that. My grandfather watched him in football sit on the bench because his mom wouldn't let him play. Just saying. And my grandfather has this great picture of him sitting next to this scrawny kid, Aaron, who you know as Elvis, who turns into this gigantic megastar of all time. He could literally not walk into some place where people would not just suffocate him with their love and adoration for him. He grew up singing at church and singing hymns and and participated in his faith deeply. And yes, we all know the story that, that towards the end of his life he was addicted to drugs and, and was just pushed in a different way. And, and, but I want you to think about how the audiences treated him. They would wait for days at the, at the airport waiting for him to fly in. Just to get a glimpse of him. Just to be around him. Even people today still are convinced that he's still alive and they see him everywhere. Spent their whole life proving that he didn't die. Then you've got the Beatles, right? Same idea. The next crazy megastars of all time. Beatlemania that took over the world and people just lined up for days waiting to get a ticket, let alone go to the show. Would we have that same type of reaction for Jesus coming into town the way that the Gospel of Matthew writer does? You see, the 
people loved Jesus so much. Now, there are thousands of people at this point. They loved him so much that they could not wait to see what he was going to do next. And when they saw him on the road to Jerusalem, the thing that they had been praying for for centuries was coming to fruition. All of a sudden, it was like, here it is, it's time. We finally get our Mashiach. And then what happens? He was killed by human beings. Because all he said to them was, you have to love your neighbor as your enemy. You have to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit those that are sick and imprisoned. Oh, and by the way, just because you're doing this, I want you to understand that you have to do it with your whole being and give with your left hand so that your right hand doesn't know what you're giving. Why? Because God divines it so. That's our king. That's the one uh, we call our savior. He saves us from ourselves. And it's time to get to work. He, during his holy week, did everything to prepare. Got us all ready to go. And for some reason, we just could not get past our own humanity, but we have hopefully learned. Matthew is giving us a note that knowing the truth is not the same as doing the truth. When we profess that this is our Savior. I'm often reminded of what one social psychologist said of university students, I think is also true of the kingdom of God, that it's, it's, it's possible to make an A-plus in the ethics course and still flunk life. We have talked the talk for a long time, church. It is now 2023. And you would think that by this point we would understand that we get to profess to the whole world, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And people would lay down their cloaks and their palm branches in expectation for him to arrive. That is what Palm Sunday is about. Next week, we talk about how that work goes into action. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.